Hello, I'm Darren Steele, the host of Think Queerly. From personal growth to empowering the lives of queer people, I share a message of human-heartedness, compassion, humility, openness to dialogue, and living with integrity. Now, as a writer and a coach, I help other deep thinkers and creatives cultivate their purpose and potential so that they can create and enjoy a more meaningful life. Because ultimately, it is about how we can feel more free. In today's episode, I want to talk about success and why success is not the opposite of failure and how this dichotomy reinforces self-doubt and shame. So this is success and failure part two, that we need to remove the word failure from the discourse of success or why I'm suggesting we need to do that. Now, the first part was called your understanding of the meaning of failure could be the reason for unrealized goals and dreams. That was episode 176. And last week I published how to define, refine and realign your failures as successes. That is my latest personal evolution process. That is both a downloadable PDF worksheet. It's also a in-depth expanded episode podcast 177 and it's unusual for me because this uh, personal evolution process really bridges these two concepts success and failure and right or wrong i'm just focused on these two terms in in a way to reframe them so if you're someone that has felt challenged by the meaning of failure or feeling like you've been a failure or challenged by these concepts, these social concepts of success and who's successful and what does success mean? Well, if you haven't listened to part one, it's okay if you don't listen to them in order. But let's get more into this. So the first time you tried to stand, you were a baby. But what happened? You tried to get up on those feet and you fell down. Maybe you didn't get much more than like not even all the way to standing up. Now, was that your first failure in life? Or did you simply just try and do it again? You fall down, you get up, you fall down, you get up. And how long did that go on? Now, did your parents sit there on the couch, arms folded, looking at you and scold you for being lazy and incompetent and ugh, can't believe this kid can't walk. I'm certain it wasn't that way, right? They probably encouraged you making all kinds of googly, annoying, silly sounds that parents make, clapping and smiling and giving you adoring praise. Now, success is not an end destination. It's a measure of progress. And I think this is probably one of the most important reframings we can use around this idea of success. That baby learns how to walk because that's a function of its nature. It's genetically built in to the human being to learn how to ambulate, how to get up and actually go from all fours to walking bipedally on your feet. The baby achieves success in walking unassisted through the practice of trying to stand without falling and taking a step without falling and repeatedly trying over and over and over again until one day the baby is finally standing and walking around 
as if that's what it had always done. And you know how babies are. Suddenly they run too quickly and they're top-heavy and poof, they just go face plant into the ground. Because there's still a period of skill development. The mastering of that first skill, that first successful accomplishment of being able to stand requires constant and further practice. Now, if you listen to or read the first part, your understanding of the meaning of failure could be the reason for unrealized goals and dreams. You'll recall that I said that failure relates to something that didn't work out as planned. Failure is an end point. Failing is about decline, a defect or a fault. So failure is not a true opposite of success. Instead, failure is almost like a compliment linguistically. It's a compliment to how we understand the process of success and where we might get emotionally blocked along the way. Now, in the words of the infamous Talking Heads song, you might ask yourself, how did I get here? (laughs) Along the way, in this thing we call life, we measure our progress by reviewing what we've done, what we've accomplished, and even what didn't work out, what we weren't able to do. We measure our success as the quality and the consistency of our intentions, the refinements of those intentions, and, and the actions we took that work towards our desired outcomes, our goals, our dreams. I'm sure you've heard the cliche, success leaves clues. That in itself is quite telling, because success is nothing more than a process of completed actions, you know, one step after another step after another step, and it accumulates like the run-out sands in an hourglass, and it manifests as the accomplishment of one's desired goal. Now, what about shame? Because failure and success really affect some people quite negatively, and there are definitely negative effects of shame on one's perception of success, which may lead to somebody feeling like a failure. Now, I've told this story before, but many years ago, I discovered that shame, specifically gay shame, was holding me back from accomplishing certain financial goals and therefore limiting my career success and career track as well. I was afraid of other people's opinions, and that was actually further reinforced by the judgment of a mentor I had at the time, who I later realized was a classic bully, but I was kind of caught and trapped in that situation. Now, most of us are concerned about what other people think, right? We all have some sense of wanting people to accept us and like us. But it goes to varying degrees. So this could show up in your life as trying to please others to win favor, which can be a very useful behavior if you want to avoid and deflect criticism and shame. And and this can be something that's wrapped into gay shame. Um, it's called sort of the... Um, uh, I, I just... 
I was going to say what it was called, and then it just completely left my mind. But it's sort of this idealized person. You'll be the the perfect ideal gay man so that no one can criticize you. You'll do all the extra work. You'll be type A. You'll show up for work on time. You'll stay extra. And then there'll be nothing that anyone can say negatively about you. So in my case, as a gay man, I struggled with feeling good enough about who I was as a person. I didn't feel like I belonged or that I was an equal part of society. And that not feeling good enough and feeling like an outsider began in my childhood. I felt isolated. I felt rejected by, you know, the kids on the schoolyard, playground, and in the classroom. That had a profound effect on my emotional, intellectual, and psychological development through childhood and adolescence. You know, in high school, by trying to fit in, I did it in a way so that I wouldn't draw attention to myself as a closeted gay man. I had to close down and literally closet off part of my true identity. And it wasn't until sometime in my late 30s and 40s that gay shame kind of reared its ugly head and I started to dig into it and realize, wow, I was afraid of success. I was afraid of success because it would mean I would have to be very visible and I'd also have to be very vulnerable. What a paradox, right? So I wanted to be a successful writer and a gay personal trainer in Toronto. I wanted to be sort of seen and known for that and recognized for my contribution. I wanted to make a difference. You know, and and it's so funny because on the one hand, I wasn't afraid of being in the public eye, but on the other hand, All those years of adolescent gay shame created patterns of stress and a a constant emotional worry or threat of exposure that would show up as me pulling back. And so that played out as a lack of acceptance and connection. And I felt like the more public I became, the more likely I would have some part of my freedom taken away. So getting my needs met around safety caused me to avoid taking successive steps towards my goals and dreams. So this leads me to sort of a rhetorical question. If you don't accomplish a goal, does that make you unsuccessful and a failure? Think about this. If you have the intention, call it a goal, to walk to the store and pick up a bag of milk, but along the way, you run into an old friend and you just get so engaged in conversation, you talk for an hour, and then there's no way you can go to the store. Does that mean you failed at the goal to go to the store? I mean, it might seem like a very trite example, but it begs the question, why do we need to use failure to mean something so vile and heinous about ourselves. It's like, I failed at this goal. Because being labeled a failure is a judgment. And whether you are shamed by others or yourself, it, it doesn't matter. It always feels awful, however we choose to internalize that. Now, some people call this self-sabotage. And I'll put the link to this article in the show notes or in the article. But it's my view that self-sabotage is a mistake perpetuated in the world of personal development. 
And the reason we make choices that look like we're sabotaging ourselves is because of a lack of prediction and response in our environment. This is the lack of feeling safe, connected, and accepted by others. And what these are, are the needs of the, the mammalian or the more animal part of our brain, the social connection part of our brain. So you could see how feelings of shame would find their home in this part of the brain. So if the mammalian brain is not having its needs met of, and its needs for safety are acceptance, connection, and care, that's going to keep you out of your logical thinking brain. Now, where there's light, there's always dark, right? Perfect duality that would be expressed in the Tao Te Ching. But just as we can utilize empowering and exciting emotions to help us succeed, our darker side emotions slow us down and put blocks in our path. Those are things like fear, worry, and self-doubt that can lead to you feeling like an imposter. But these so-called negative emotions or dark side emotions can be really useful if you understand what the fears of success or self-doubt are telling you. Of course, the paradox here with feeling like an imposter is that you really need to become more comfortable with uncertainty. So how do you do that? Well, imagine you have a goal that's really a stretch goal. Like it's, <laughs> it kind of freaks you out, maybe scares you to think, why on earth did I ever come up with a goal this big or complicated or far reaching? Well, to make that happen, you need to break that goal down into so many smaller parts. You need to break it down into so many periods of time so that you're working on smaller, more manageable, even if somewhat challenging, but just smaller and more manageable. You may need to acquire more information, get more education, get more skills. And at the same time, you may need to take a bit of a leap of faith, or you may need to engage with other individuals because the goal is so big that you might not be able to accomplish it realistically on your own. So it's funny because the paradox is the very thing you want is at the same time causing you friction. It's causing you to feel uncertain. And that's what causes stress. And when we're unsure about any situation in our life, that is a lack of prediction and response. Literally, we don't know what to do. And the more of a stress that not knowing is, the more we shut down. So here's the thing. If your actions are more stressful than you can handle, it is human nature to fight, flee, or freeze. And like I said, this happens when you have a lack of prediction about your environment. And you can't respond in a comfortable and skillful way. Which is another way of saying, without too much stress without the kind of stress or threat that would hold you back from being able to respond. So without this adequate prediction and response, we get pulled out of our logical brain. I've already said this. This is also called the prefrontal cortex, and it is generally sort of in the front of our skull area. And we get pulled into the mammalian brain, and that's actually called the anterior cingulate cortex. 
worst case scenario, extreme threat situations, we go into the amygdala, or otherwise commonly called the reptilian brain. So the challenge in these situations is both the quality and the quantity of the stress you have to deal with. And you'll need to make a determination, an assessment, if this is the kind of stress that's motivating, like challenging in a good way. Does it excite you? And does it feel like, okay, I can, I can up my game. I can refine my skills. I can get the information I need. I can ask for the help. And you're, you're, you've got kind of the more positive light side emotions that are motivating you to go forward. But on the other hand, if there is too much stress around the goal that's putting you into a high stress, a reactive state, feeling threatened, that's what causes you to feel overwhelmed. And if you can't overcome this state, that's when you move into the threat mode and out of your logical brain. And as long as you don't perceive the goal as a threat to your physical safety, physical safety is what is going to give you that possible fight flight, freeze response the from the amygdala, the reptilian brain. As long as you don't perceive the goal as a threat to your physical safety, you're likely to just shut down and begin to experience the dark side emotional reactions that happen more at the mammalian brain level, like demotivation, disinterest, sadness, frustration, shame, like what I've mentioned. Less is more is a very apt expression and a wonderful cliche to live by in this sense. You know, referring back to what I wrote early on in part one of this series, personal failure is a form of overwhelm in the form of fear or threat. Failure is not a lack of competence. Failure is the decision to give up made while stressed. And when this happens and you can't see a way forward, your emotional response is to stop acting on your goal and to protect yourself from further stress. It makes sense, right? All these processes are going on inside of our various brains that are meant to protect us and feel safe. We just have to know how much we can challenge ourselves so that we don't push so hard that we go into sort of a threatened type of state. And the most effective and seemingly too simple strategy to deal with overwhelm, and I've mentioned this already, is to choose smaller, less challenging, less stressful, and less threat-inducing actions. Right? There's no app for that. You just need to look at the bigger goal or challenge and figure out how can you take this pie as a metaphor, cut it in half, cut the half in half, cut the quarter in a half, cut the eighth, you know, and break it down and, and then just accomplish those segments and then move forward and then reward yourself because you've taken the action to define the problem, refine the actions and then to get into better alignment with how you're going to accomplish that goal. That, that define, refine, align is the signature part of my personal evolution process, which is the, the download uh, exercise that accomplish, accomplishes, that accompanies both part one and part two. 
So with taking smaller steps, you challenge yourself without shutting down by building upon the successes of your past experiences. And if you keep taking small but also frequent steps towards your goal, you actually start building habits or behaviors and and skills that the basal ganglia part of your brain recognizes as patterns, which is another form of another word for prediction, in order to create appropriate responses. You know, press this button and then this result happens. In other words, when you try and feed your brain or a computer too much data at once and too many commands, it's going to crash. That's why less is more in this case. Less is more, smaller steps, but more frequently. It is easier to take smaller steps, smaller actions, because they feel less threatening. And then it's just one smaller success and possibly even a dopamine hit. It's like, ah, I did it. It's done. Okay, on to the next one. And every step you take in life is progress, regardless of direction. Because forwards and backwards are simplistic and dualistic descriptions for movement, for physical movement in space. And I don't think they should be used to add more confusion to this natural, progressive process we call life. There's only one direction for us in life, and that's now. Because you can't go backwards. You can't go backwards on your goals and dreams. That's like saying you're going to go back in time, and that's not possible. We exist in this moment now. We measure what we have accomplished in what we call the past, and we anticipate what we hope and want to achieve by planning actions to take in the future now. That's what life is. It's just a successive series of steps. Oh, that's great alliteration. Life is a successive series of steps. (laughs) And it's possibly one of my favorite refinements of the meaning of success. When we look at the definition of the word successive, it includes things like in a row, sequential, consecutive, and following. And that's all success really is. It's a series of steps or actions, each one following the next. Success is the process, whereas successful is the completion of the steps. So what makes the idea of success meaningful regarding our goals and dreams is how we feel along the way while we're working on them. And how you act with Focus and clarity and emotional intention influences the quality and the potency of the steps, the action potential of the steps you take towards what you want to accomplish. And if you lead yourself with a powerful emotional intention for your desire, each step is going to feel natural, compelling, self-motivating, even successful. So which brings me to our conclusion, that failure and success are not a duality. Success as a measurement is a process of acting towards an intended outcome, but failure is a moment. Failure is not a process. And if we highlight the definition of failure 
in this realm of accomplishing goals, then failure means the non-performance of something due. And even that is debatable the way I look at things, because you may have successfully accomplished many of the steps, many of the smaller parts of the pie along the way, before you chose to no longer act on the completion of your objective, whatever the reason for stopping was. And success is a process. Success requires many mistakes along the path to solving a problem. Mistakes, as well as missed takes, how many takes, how many actions you take towards completing that goal, are simply part of the process in the pursuit of realizing or manifesting your goal. So in other words, if you don't succeed at a goal, that does not make you a failure. It's worth repeating. If you don't succeed at a goal, that does not make you a failure. Success and failure are not in opposition to each other. And if you recognize that as a truth for yourself, you will be, you will feel far more successful in life. Okay, so if you want to dive deeper into this, and how to define, refine, and realign your failures as successes, then I would invite you to download the new personal evolution practice I created for both part one and part two, which will help you, one, understand why you believe you might have failed at a past goal or dream, two, how to reframe your understanding of what that failure means, and finally, how to create a new and improved strategy to complete or start a new goal or to simply move beyond seeing yourself or the goal as a failure. Now, the link is in the show notes, also in the article. And again, just as a reminder, I would really suggest listening to um, episode 177, the one that comes before this one, if you haven't already, because I go into much more detail and provide a lot more clarity about the process and the intended outcome of how this process can make a meaningful difference in your life so that you can experience more peace of mind, acceptance, and freedom. As always, thank you so much for listening. And if you can't think straight, my friend, think queerly. Bye for now.